any story that you have made up about how much better somebody else's life is than yours is not a real story. And whatever version of crazy and sad and depressed and upset and stuck that you are holding for yourself, you are not alone in it. I want people listening to know that there is hope, there is a way. As you get free, others around you will get free. So it's not only a gift that you give yourself, but it's a gift that you give all the people that you'll ever encounter for the rest of your life. Hey everybody, John Chisholm here. Welcome to the All the Best podcast. It's my own special blend of motivation and devotion designed to help you find all the best in life. I just believe there's always a way to make your life better. I want to help you get there. Nothing's going to be off limits in this show. We're going to talk to amazing people from all kinds of backgrounds, beliefs, and points of view. We're going to be bringing you insights, advice, and inspiration to guide you into the coolest chapters of your life and maybe help you actually enjoy your time here on planet Earth. So buckle up, kids. This is going to be fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me for a few minutes today on All the Best. I'm so excited about my guest, Jim Trick. Jim's motto for most of his life was a bag of chips never lets you down. And he lived that out as he ballooned up to over 430 pounds, not once, but twice after he lost over 200 pounds the first time. Jim is a musician, coach, a corporate speaker, and one of the most inspiring people I've met in a while. He's got such an amazing story and he's using it to help people find success by making and keeping their commitments to themselves. He, he just said so many great things in the show, things like we all deserve a life that we don't want to escape from, and there isn't any healing in ignorance and fear. He just kept dropping those truth bombs on me, and we explored why most of us don't do what we say we want to do the most. I can really relate to that. I don't know about you. But Jim says that success lies in honoring your commitments to yourself, and he helps his coaching clients and corporate audiences change the way they think about change to experience all the best in life. Jim is just brilliant, and I loved this conversation, and I felt deeply challenged to make new commitments to myself and to keep them this time. I think this episode is going to be an important one if you're looking for deep change and fresh meaning in your own life. So... Here's my new best friend, Jim Tripp. All right. I want to welcome Jim Trick to All the Best. Hi, Jim. Hey, John. How's it going, brother? It's going great, man. We've got a lot of mutual friends on Facebook, but you're a, you're a musician, you're a motivational speaker, you do a lot of corporate speaking and your own workshops and you got a pretty huge story. Can you maybe take us uh, back to the the genesis of all this? How did all this start for you? Yeah, no, I, for the last 10 years, I have been working as a life and executive coach and a motivational speaker. And 
prior to that, I, I've had a, a long, I had a long career doing various types of Christian uh, ministry, some of that entertainment-based, some of that as a, as like a retreat leader and event speaker, that sort of thing. But I spent most of my life, it's really actually really interesting that I spent most of my ministry as a morbidly obese man. Like a lot of people, I had a lot of, a lot of trauma growing up. I had a, a dad that was at once a wonderful, a wonderful dad and a great guy with an extremely violent temper that would turn on a dime. And so my childhood was simultaneously really beautiful and really scary at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and I was also like, like a lot of people bullied mercilessly in middle school because of the way my dad was, didn't really have a safe place to, to go. And the place that I chose to go was food. And there's this combination, John, of finding comfort in food, which, you know, a bag of chips never lets you down. A large pizza is, is always there for you. And as a result, I became increasingly obese. And as I became obese, I got picked on more for being obese, went back to food for comfort. And eventually it was a literal physical snowball that that continued to cause me to get bigger and bigger. How did you feel about that? I mean... Did you know that you were obese or was it just something you kind of hid from yourself or how were you feeling during that time where it was in your weight was increasing like that? That's a great question. I think that I was probably simultaneously tortured, but also comforted and along with the obesity came a very hyper-developed performer part that if I was, if I was big and fat and jolly and funny and engaging and entertaining, and I could sing you a song and I could tell you a joke that it kept me, it kept me safe and protected so that what people saw was a very, a very jolly magnetic guy who was extremely sad on the inside. But what happened was over the course of my 20s, I continued to binge and I continued to to binge and kind of hide the eating. Now, the better part of a decade later, or I'd had a day where I had had like a typical day of eating for me, which would look like this. I was living in a little New England seaport town and I started my day as typical with two bagels, one with extra butter and one with extra cream cheese and a large coffee. I was on my way to the office, which meant that 20 minutes after that, I drove past a McDonald's where I ate an egg McMuffin and two hash browns and another coffee or a Coke. And then I got to work, which would have been another 20 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes into being at the office, Somebody would always say, hey, does anybody want anything from Dunkin' Donuts? To which I would say, oh, yeah, I'm starving. 
And I would eat, you know, a sausage, egg and cheese bagel and another coffee. So this is all within, within an hour or so I had consumed this much food. So then for lunch, I would have what most people would have for dinner. And then on my way home that night, I stopped off and I got a double Whopper. I was on my way to meet friends for dinner. So the double Whopper on the way home would always be ordered plain so that if I wouldn't spill anything on my shirt and nobody would be able to smell it on me. So I, I would eat the double Whopper and then I would have, you know, breath mints and wash and dries in my car. Then when I got to dinner, I would order something like a grilled, grilled chicken on a salad. And just, you know, it would always sort of say something about how I'm trying real hard to my friends so that I wouldn't get the speech. That night, on my way back from dinner, I stopped off and got a large pizza. And when I returned home, I realized that my electricity had been turned off. Because at that point in life, my financial life was as out of control as my eating life was. And I actually sat in the dark with a flashlight and consumed that pizza before I called the electric company to have my lights turned on. So that was a rock bottom that still didn't lead to the, that still didn't lead to the transformation. Mm -hmm. How about Amazing. that? Well, hey man, I can honestly say I've not heard anyone describe you know, a day food day in the life of someone who has that type of food addiction. And it's impressive, dude. And, and, and I'll tell you, I've yet to find somebody who doesn't have their own version of this on some level, whether or not they're talking about it or not. Just about everybody that I've come in contact with, particularly with the coaching work that I've done over the last 10 years, I think just about everybody has something like this. Sure. Yeah. To some degree, you know, maybe it's manageable, functional alcoholic or, you know, brief forays into pornography or something, you know, every now and yeah. then or, or, you know. Holding on to that behavior that served them well as a kid that enabled them to survive and get through that they're still carrying into their adult lives and adult right. relationships, not fully realizing that it actually served. Look, I had really good reasons for becoming morbidly obese, really good reasons for seeking that kind of protection. Those things just don't work as, as an adult. Yeah. Something Eckhart Tolle would probably call the pain body. Yeah. Just the, the, this massive amount of residual pain that had just collected in your, your heart, your mind, your soul, wherever it stays and drove you to this addictive behavior. So here you are at 430 pounds. What was, what was the crisis or, or the moment that you started to turn it around and how did this transformation happen? Well, it's fascinating. Really what happened, John was, you know, I, I was 20, gosh, 28 years old. I never thought that I would even have a girlfriend, let alone a wife. Even though I think because I had that big personality, I, I had a, a couple of, of women that were interested at, in me along the way, but never, never to the point where they actually wanted to have a relationship. And then I met somebody who saw through the weight 
and fell in love with me. And I wound up getting married at 430 pounds to, to a woman who was, you know, fit and, um, a tip more of a typical size. And, you know, when you're that big and you're dealing with that kind of trauma, you tell this story to yourself that if X, Y, and Z happens, then I know I will lose the weight. And my list included, you know, if I ever, if somebody ever falls in love with me, or if I ever have these health issues, then I'm sure at that point that I'll, that I'll lose the weight. And all of those things happened and I didn't lose the weight. And so a couple of years after getting married, I decided to have gastric bypass surgery. It was 430 pounds laid down on an operating room table at Mass General Hospital and had the full gastric bypass surgery. And I lost weight. But within about three years of the surgery, I had regained almost all of it. So I went from 430 pounds, had the surgery, got down to around 270, and within three years was back up to 400 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. And so for the night, and you can just imagine how humiliating that was. And, and, you know, look, here's the thing, John, so many of us have tried so many times. We try over and over and over again, and we fail over and over and over again. That for a lot of us, eventually we just give up. And that's really what had happened to me. I had just completely and utterly given up and had just decided, okay, this was just who I was going to be. I was going to stop torturing myself over this and I just wasn't going to try. So, so I had a morning, I had like this three week period about 10 years ago. That went like this. I woke up one morning and I decided to go for a walk. And I don't know what prompted it. I just said, okay, I think today is the day that I'm going to try again. And I woke up and I put on sneakers and I walked out my front door and Again, living in a different, beautiful little seaport town, I decided to go for a walk. And on that walk, I decided to pray a prayer. And a lot of times when I pray, I just, I just ask questions and I'll just kind of wait and see if there's any, if there's any needs. So I'm walking and the question that I was asking was, why do why do I know what to do, but I don't do? Because when you get to be that big, you spend so much time looking at every program and everything that could possibly make somebody possibly lose weight. And so I'm walking along and I'm praying this, I'm asking this question. And then all of a sudden I felt like I got an answer. And it wasn't like the clouds parted and I heard an invisible voice going, dude, you know, because that's how God talks. I felt like the answer that I got was, you know what to do, but you don't do it because 
you're a slave to your feelings and you make all of your choices and decisions based on your feelings. And that just, that just struck me like right across the, right across the heart. And it felt so true. And the only thing that I knew in that moment was that that was true and I had a choice. So later that day, I watched a documentary film called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Went for a walk, prayed a prayer, got an answer, watched a documentary, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Three weeks later, I was on stage at a, at a festival called Soul Fest. And, you know, there I am, big and fat, defeated, acting like things were fine, got off stage and, you know, I mean, you've toured as a, as a Christian musician. So, you know, a lot of times when you get off stage, people want to talk to you about what's going on in their lives and you make time for people and you have those conversations. Well, I got off stage and a woman walked up to me and she said, Hey Jim, can I talk to you? And I said, I said, sure. Now this was a woman that I had met a couple of times, but didn't really know that well. Her name is Gina Blaze. And I, I got off stage and Gina came up to me and I said, sure, Gina, I'd be happy to talk with you. Let me just put my guitar away and I'll meet you over at the merch table. And she said, Jim, you know, it's taken me a lot of courage to come up to you right now. And I'm going to ask you to drop what you're doing and just listen to me right now. And I said, okay, Gina. And the next words out of her mouth were, Jim, last three weeks ago, I saw a documentary called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about you. He said, and this has to change. This has to change. And I said, what has to change? And she said, your weight has to change because it's keeping you from being who you are. And we need you to be who. And I said, who needs me to be who I are? And she said, the world does. The world does. I had, I had a friend who had gotten, he was a therapist who had, be, had changed and become a life coach. And he had put a little bug in my ear a couple months earlier saying, I think you'd be a really good life coach. And I thought that was simultaneously really interesting and hysterical because there aren't that many people out there who want a 430 pound life coach. That had been stuck in the back of my head. And she said, she said, and listen, you're not going to be able to do this alone. You're going to have to hire someone. And I said, like a life coach. And she said, no, Jim, you are a life coach. And she must've said it six or seven times. Jim, you are a life coach. It's why you have to address this so that you can help people. And she said, now I'm going to pray for you. And I said, right now. And as you can imagine, when we came up from the prayer. I said, all right, Gina, here's my commitment. Within nine months, which is how long it takes to form a new life, I will have lost 100 pounds and I will have gotten trained in a coaching curriculum. And nine months later, I had lost 115 pounds and was finishing up coach training with Coach Training Institute. And so now it's been about 10 years and I'm a little down a little over 200 pounds. It, it's, it's just such an amazing transformation physically and emotionally. So how did you deal? I mean, obviously you've, you've, you've dropped the pounds, but have you dropped the emotional weight? I mean, obviously it kind of goes hands in hand, hand in hand, 
but how how does all that work? My work has been about facing the the trauma without without reservation. Somebody said the cure for the pain is the pain. The cure for the pain is the pain. I think it's the Gospel of Thomas, and I could totally have this this wrong. But they said, if you bring forth that which is inside you, that which is inside you will save you. If you do not bring forth that which is inside you, that which is inside you will destroy you. Sheesh. We could just camp out on that for a while. I know. Man. This is the work, John. This is the work. This is the work when you're dealing with the level of trauma that I had dealt with and what a lot of people have dealt with. There just isn't any, there isn't any version of healing that's done in ignorance or in fear. So the work, and it's still the work, right? It's still the work of healing that kid who went through so much and yeah, absolutely. God is, God's in all of it. I, I don't, listen, I'm at a place in my faith now. Where I don't think that you can put God into anything, nor can you remove God from anything. And so for me, it's just, you know, trusting that whatever the methodology is, if it's, if it's, if it's in service of my healing and if it's in service of my deliverance, then that belongs to Jesus. So it's, 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 so it's, it's just an, it's just an ongoing, it's just an ongoing thing. And I, you know, I don't identify as an alcoholic. Two years ago, I decided to just stop, to stop drinking and just again, in service of being more myself, more myself, more myself, unapologetically more myself. Maybe that means I'm not always the life of the party. And maybe that means that I'm not always happy, but it, it's, I have found that stripping away anything, any barrier that keeps me from being myself and being kind to myself has been profoundly, profoundly important. Mm. So now you're 10 years later, 220 pounds down, looking great, my man. I mean, you're looking good. You're out speaking these corporate gigs. You bring an annual keynote at Berkeley because of your music background and all of that. But it seems like the, the core message that you're bringing is, is to help people change the way they think about change. Yeah. And you've been talking a little bit about that in your own story, but can you unpack that a little bit for the rest of us who would really like to have some change, but we're not, you know, ponying up yet to what we need to do? Well, I think, you know, one of the big things for me was that day that I the day that I was confronted with the truth about making all of my decisions based on my feelings, realizing that I had a choice, that was such a profound, that was such a profound moment. And what I've come to understand over the last decade is the people who seem to really, really move the needle in their lives in a meaningful way are people who have done the work to identify what actually matters most to them. 
And what I mean by that is they are people who have done the work to craft a thoughtfully and deeply curated list of non-negotiable core values. And I wrote a book a couple of years ago with one of my best friends, Brant Christopher Menzoir, called Rock and Roll With It, Overcoming the Challenge of Change. And we break, we break change into two categories. The change you want to make, which in my case was wanting to not be morbidly obese. But then the other kind of change is the change that we are sometimes forced to take. And that's when you get a call on Tuesday afternoon that someone that you love has gotten a terrible diagnosis. Regardless of it's a whether or not it's a change that you are longing to make in your life or a change that you are being forced to take, the, all roads lead back to cultivating that list of core values. And there's, a, and there's a, a whole host of questions that one can answer in service of discovering what somebody's values might be. It's just a way of understanding what matters to you most. I would always say that, you know, I describe our feelings as like the weather and they're constantly changing and we're impacted by the weather, right? Like, you know, maybe it's pouring out, maybe it's cold out, maybe it's really hot, maybe it's just a beautiful day. But whatever the weather is, that's bound to change. But our, our, but our values, this, this digging into these things that are, are, are our core values, those things that matter most to us, like a fortress, they're like a shelter from the weather. And those values rarely change. That's just really super powerful to think about it that way. And so those are the kind of, coaching exercises, if you will, kind of talk a little bit about coaching. I mean, coaching and counseling and therapy, and I know there's a blend of it, but what's kind of the short answer of how all that works for you? I think we just experienced a little bit of it, right? So I'm a coactive coach. I was trained by an organization called Coach Training Institute, and they are the ones who really coined the phrase life coach. They're considered to be one of the most prestigious and reputable coach trainings going. And coactivity is founded on some cornerstones. The first cornerstone is that people are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. They're not broken in need of fixing. And I'll tell you what, man, I just spent so much time as an evangelical pastor seeing people just as broken. Everybody that sat in my chair, I saw as, as broken. Mm. Um, and just sitting with clients in, in not holding them as, as broken uh, is such a big, such a instantaneously big shift in how we hold people mm -hmm. to work. But so the cornerstones are that people are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole, not broken in need of fixing. They have their best answers inside of them. The second one is to focus on the whole person, to dance in the moment, to actually be in a dance with a person in a moment and to evoke transformation. And I don't go into any coaching sessions thinking that I know what a person needs, thinking that I think I know what's right for them. I'm at my worst 
when I'm trying to give advice, it rarely happens. It happened when I was a newer coach. So for me, coaching sessions happen when we are co-creating and dancing in a moment and just looking to see what wants to show up. And anytime we get out of our way and move beyond what we, you know, any story that we've made up about what's available, something always comes up that says, wow, where, where, where we just kind of go, wow. So coaching for me is not like a program where somebody goes through and they go through these steps. And the other thing I don't do is I, I'm not a coach that wants to see clients every week for the rest of their lives. I want, I want our, my coaching work to be extremely results driven. And, and I want a person to be getting profound value from the work that we do. Mm. The other thing that I've been doing recently too, which is a little different and I love it. And it's more of an executive coaching type thing where I'm coaching speakers and presenters, people who are really good at their job, but they are not compelling presenters or public speakers. And I got to tell you, man, that work is different from the, from the personal work, but the places that we get to go, when you unleash somebody to tell the story that they've been assigned to tell in a compelling way is so satisfying, mm, mm. but that's the heart of coaching for me. What's the, what's the one thing you would say to someone, whether they are dealing with their own bodies, you know, eating disorders, addictions pornography, whatever, you know, shopping addiction, it doesn't matter. You've overcome so much. You have transformed your life. What's the one thing out of all that that you would say to someone that might be listening today who's in a real deep hell? I would say, obviously, the cliche thing is any story that you have made up about how much better somebody else's life is than yours is not a real story. And whatever version of crazy and sad and depressed and upset and stuck that you are holding for yourself, you are not alone in it. And more than likely, that thing that you're experiencing is probably wildly common, but just not something that people commonly talk about, but also say that there is hope. I want people listening to know that there is hope. There is a way. It's not a one-size-fits-all program. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And it replicates itself. It, it, as you get free, others around you will get free. So it's not only a gift that you give yourself, but it's a gift that you give all the people that you'll ever encounter for the rest of your life. And it's available and it's there, even just getting really honest with a friend, you know, and just maybe, maybe just talking about that thing that you never talked about 
I can't tell you the number of times in a coaching session that a person will unburden themselves of something that they've been holding on to, in some cases, for decades. And what an honor it is to be able to hold space for that to happen. Good stuff. A lot. Jim Trick, man, thanks for being with us. It's been awesome. John, I can't believe how fast this time went by, but I'm so honored to, to have been asked to, to be on your program and to have a new friend. Let's do it again, bro. Thanks for hanging out with me today on All the Best. If you like the show, be sure to share it out with your family and friends on your social media and drop me a line at john at johnchism.com. I would love to hear from you. I also want to invite you to jump over to my site right now to sign up for my free 31-day motivational email series. It's designed to help you go for all the best in life. If you're needing some real change, fresh motivation and inspiration, this could be just the thing to get you going. You can find it at johnchism.com and I'll see you next time.